Welcome, I'm Jerry O'Neill and this is Ross, episode 8 of Thinking Out Loud. And the thing that's on my mind today is a Texas representative by the name of Dan Crenshaw. Now, I've been following this dude for about nine months, trying to figure out what side of the aisle his loyalties lie. And just giving, given everything that's happened in the last 24 hours, right up to the last hour, where we're in a situation where all the main news networks have called the presidential election in favor of Joe Biden. One of the main issues for the mainstream media, I think, is to, to get establishment Republicans to recognize their call and establish some legitimacy around their decision so that they can push the narrative of the presidential election forward whereby they get a groundswell of support that, you know, Trump should step aside. We know that Donald Trump is not going to step aside and that there are a number of federal um, cases going before judges around the country on Monday morning with regard to various voter irregularity a lot of swing states. I might get into that in a while, into detail about some of them some of them in a while, but what I noticed was Dan Crenshaw came out on Fox News yesterday. It could well have been on programs, but he's kind of started to talk in the language of President-elect Joe Biden, and that, you know, if he's won, we should, you know, get on with it. One of the things about Dan Crenshaw, he's a, he's a former military guy, I think a Navy SEAL, he was injured battle, and he came to national prominence. Saturday Night Live did that tasteless sketch on the fact that he wears an eye patch and has been, in, you know, serving his country. He handled it very well in terms of he didn't try to make a lot of capital out of sketch, and even, I think, appeared on the subsequent episode, he, um, comedian who made the faux pas, if you like. However, I've been curious about Dan because he's always been a bit middle of the road during the Trump presidency. He seems to me to be another one of these Republicans who's got a lot from Donald Trump in terms of publicity and support, but has not really returned much to the to the Trump campaign or presidency. And this appearance on Fox News kind of semi legitimizes the voting process to date, the vote counting to date, and, you know, this idea that this election is kosher, which it's clearly not. But the reason I started looking into Dan a number of months ago was that I was very curious to see how he got funded for his first um, congressional campaign. And that's when I did a bit of digging, and I'm just going to read a piece from an article that I wrote in about a, about a super PAC. The article wasn't much to do with Dan Crenshaw, and I didn't really highlight his involvement with this super PAC because I was writing about Jeff Bezos and Bloomberg backing a super PAC that had somebody that was loosely tied to the Epstein saga that was drawn out during the summer with Ghislaine Maxwell. But I just want to read a, a couple of... Um, lines from that article that I wrote, um, just to give you some background on this with honor fund. So it's, I think it's uh, useful. 
to say that the With Honor Fund is a who's who of multimillionaire and billionaire. So let me just dive into it. I think it's accurate to describe the With Honor Fund as a Jeff Bezos-backed fund that began life sometime in 2017. It's been funding a curious mix of characters that seem to have something in common, but we'll get to that in due course. Sometimes the With Honor Fund acts for a candidate, as in it funds it, and then occasionally it acts against a particular politician. It doesn't does seem to have a pension penchant for supporting a number of candidates that were in the military, though, both in 2008-2000. I just want to read out some of the House candidates that they've supported. So in 2018, they supported Dan Crenshaw's run to the House to the tune of $853,000. Now, there's a there's a whole list of other candidates that they've um, supported, um, and they're a mix of Democrats and Republicans. Now, most of the people that are supporting this are kind of heavy Democrat funders. They're not normally people you'd associate with backing Republican candidates. But you can see that uh, Jeff Bezos contributed $10 million to this fund. Abigail Wexner, who is, the, who is I think, either the daughter or wife of the same, the same Wexner that was involved with Jeffrey Epstein, contributed $2.5 million. Now, and there's a, there's a number of other Bezoses. I don't know if they're daughters or sons of Jeff Bezos that are down for half a million apiece to, in funding to this With Honor Fund. So it's, you know, and Leslie Wexner has personally given 300000 as well as his wife's tonight. So that was the, the interest for me at the time was that Leslie Wexner's name was in the papers a lot because he, Jeffrey Epstein, managed Leslie Wexner's um, affairs or he was a financial advisor to Wexner and a lot of the alleged um, wrongdoings of Jeffrey Epstein occurred in in or, or close to the Wexner mansion in Ohio and that was the reason for me writing the article at the time. Now I just want to dive into something else about this super PAC is that Michael Bloomberg was also somebody that has contributed to this fund over time. So, you know, it got me thinking as to why are there a mix of Republicans? Wexner is a Republican and Bloomberg and Bezos are Democrats. Why are they pooled together in a with honor fund to fund a mix of Democratic and Republican military candidates? And my my summary at the time was that it's just an example of the billionaire class trying to control the states. They don't really care who, what party is in power, as long as they feed the interests of the globalists and they, they're not either too far to the right or too far to the left. So I think it's very interesting that, you know, Dan Crenshaw get, got his start, major one of his major fundraising fund, fundraising successes was with this was was by being targeted by this group of people so i've had a little amber light in my head about him ever since i found out this information and where did i find this out information out 
if you go into opensecrets.org, it's a website that tracks all the campaign contributions to candidates. You can find out all about the super PACs who funds them in each cycle and that kind of thing. Now, the curious thing is, Dan got funded in 2018, and obviously he's been an outstanding success as a congressman. He's got both the national profile, he's intelligent, he's a big hit on the pod, on the main podcast um, streams that are on YouTube. So he, his, his profile now is national. And I have no doubt that he, at some point, will probably be talked about as a candidate for president. Maybe not in 2024, maybe in 2024, but definitely his time will come. Uh, so I find it very curious that Dan is one of the first guys out to talk about the elections when, as they're still going on, knowing full well that the Donald Trump campaign have, have in no way conceded as of yet, and that they, in fact, believe massive voter fraud has gone on during the last three or four days. So you link that with some of the other people that have been to the fore in the last six hours since CNN first announced Joe Biden as the president-elect. We've had Ari Fleischer, who's the former cabinet secretary for, sorry, he's the former press secretary for George W. Bush. You've had a stream of the Never Trumpers from the Lincoln Project uh, getting airtime across both the left wing and right wing. It's very curious. Chris Chris Wallace um, had a, a segment basically that talked on Fox News that started talking about the Biden agenda, like as if you know there isn't massive concern about the results of these elections. But it was very curious to me that he had Dana Perino, former uh, George W. Bush press secretary, as well, I think, and. Uh, very middle of the road Republicans who are not likely to push too hard against the mainstream media's calling of this election in Joe Biden's. There seems to be a consensus in Washington and New York about moving on quickly, moving this narrative on quickly so that it gathers. And it's going to be interesting to see how soon it is before the narrative gets to the point where they're claiming that Donald Trump refuses to give up the presidency because that's where this is all headed. They, they want to legitimize themselves as the people that can decide who's the president, which is 100% erroneous, and quickly move to a situation where they could possibly try to force Donald Trump out of the White House before January the 20th. It's completely ridiculous. Um, the other point to note is this has, with these contested with these lawsuits pending and these question marks over voter fraud, it's a matter for the state legislature to decide if the vote count in their state is legitimate. That's the that's how it, that's how this, any election gets decided, and that's how this election is decided. No state legislature at this moment in time has rubbish rubber stamped their results. Now, I would say there are many states that will rubber stamp them stamped their results very quickly because they were done by the book and were more or less finished on the night of November 3rd. But there are at least 10 to 12 states where there are massive question marks over the result and also massive question marks over as to whether 
illegal votes were counted. Now, Trump has limited resources to prove that there have been illegitimate votes unless he gets one of these lawsuits, particularly in Pennsylvania, to find in his favor. So what he's done with his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is there's going to be a, a lawsuit lodged on Monday morning which claims that no Republican poll watchers were allowed to watch the mail-in ballots of about 600,000. Uh, and these count centers were in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Now, there's no surprise that also these are heavy, these are the two areas of the state where, that were heavily in favor of Joe Biden. But it is undoubted that there's huge question marks about the chain of events surrounding a number of these vote dumps in Biden's favor, where we saw his vote share go up massively in hundred, you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand tranches to virtually no votes on the trumpet. Now maybe it's legitimate, but you know, maybe it is, but. There is serious question marks at the very least over the transparency of how those votes were counted. If they are successful on Monday in granting a, the courts or grant them, agree with them basically, that those 600,000 votes did not follow um, a legal chain of command, if you like, in how they were counted and whether they were legitimate, they could be thrown out. Now, if they were to be thrown out, that would be a major victory, and Trump would win that state. If Trump gets Pennsylvania back in his column, he's got a major chance of getting back in the race. So everything will really depend on the results of Pennsylvania and that lawsuit. There's very little open to him, unless he can get poll watchers that were in Detroit and Michigan and Milwaukee and Wisconsin to come out and say they saw voter fraud going on on a massive scale. Because at this stage, he needs evidence of massive voter fraud, a systemic methodology utilized by the Democratic Party instigate voter fraud. If he doesn't have it, he's you know he's not going to win. That's and I say that as somebody that's his supporter because as we speak, Joe Biden has seventy-four million votes. Trump has seventy and a half million votes. It's nearly a four million vote difference between Joe Biden. And Donald Trump. So while Donald Trump has undoubtedly performed excellently in increasing his total number of votes by nearly seven or eight million in this election, you have to also say that Joe Biden has a four million vote lead nationwide. He to to have any legitimacy he needs to prove mass voter fraud. And I'm not the months ahead might establish that, but he needs to establish it in the next 48 to 72 hours. And if he doesn't, he's not going to be the president on the 21st of January. And that's the bare bones of it. Now, just getting back to Dan Crenshaw and the Republicans, I would say this about the Republican Party. Established Republican parties are making a great mistake if they think that once Trump is gone, um, they'll have great success in 2022 and then after that in 24. The people that came out to vote for Donald Trump, in my opinion, a, a, a big majority of them were voting for Donald Trump because they like his economic narrative, they like his um, immigration policies, they like the fact that he's good on trade, they like that he hasn't started a new war, they like the peace, but particularly they like 
that he was the one that pointed the finger at the Chinese Communist Party's five, five years ago. And time has only proven him right. One of the things that I noticed is that the Chinese English paper version called uh, the Chinese paper, the Global Times, the English language version, 25 or 30 minutes after Biden was declared president-elect, announced that somebody in the Biden administration or Biden campaign had told him that the United States would not have any further sanctions on China over their stance in Hong Kong. That is an amazing statement to come out with because I think if the United States allow what's happened in Hong Kong to be established as a you know normal and still give access to China, still allow China to use Hong Kong to get Western capital, that China are just going to invade Taiwan in the next two. They're just going to take over that, that jurisdiction. I suppose they, 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 they see it as part of China, but I don't know for how many decades Taiwan had been set a self-governing entity, but the next step for China after Hong Kong and the security laws they passed there and basically have made it an integrated part of China. Uh, the next step is they're going to do the same thing with Taiwan, albeit with probably a lot more resistance, but I can't see a Biden administration standing up too strongly to China, considering when Russia invaded Crimea, Biden and Obama stood by and let them do it. And so that's, I thought that was an interesting response from the Chinese to immediately jump on uh, the, the likely Biden policy with regard to the, if you like, the invasion of Hong Kong um, and the suppression of democracy there. So I just wanted to do an update tonight on the on the on the stuff that's running through my head. Um, the thing which Dan Crenshaw has particularly been on my mind to do a few minutes on him because I think you're going to see more and more of Dan Crenshaw if we're facing into four years of a Joe Biden presidency. That's 100% certain. And Dan, Dan Crenshaw will be looked to as one of the future leaders of the party. I disagree. I think Trump, if he is unsuccessful, the first thing he should do is establish a new political party in the United States. I actually think he should announce in the next 72 hours and he gets support from the Republican Party that that's exactly what he's going to do because I think he should use the opportunity um, to cement this odd coalition of people that he has built. And I don't mean it's odd, it's unusual, but he seems to have made great inroads with a certain element of African-American, a, a, a huge chunk of the Hispanic population, and widespread support with the working-class whites in the United States who feel that nobody in Washington and they have seen through the lies and deceits of what they're being told by their local politicians, state politicians, national politicians, and the media that, that kind of are in cahoots with them. So these people are not going to remain in an establishment Republican Party that isn't got a heavy taste of populism and the concept of America first. I don't think America first is uh, the go-to slogan for over half the Republican Party. 
have the elected Republican Party. And I think it's a slogan that they will quickly discard if uh, President Trump is ultimately unsuccessful. But I would think one of the, the one of the things that Trump could do in the next couple of days to garner support is to privately tell senior Republicans that if they think they're going to win the runoff senatorial elections in Georgia, you using or abusing his support base in January, they have another thing coming, and that he's actually established a national populist political party. I think that is that is a legacy that he could be proud to leave behind, either whether through um, the, the handful of populists that are already in Washington that have kind of already taken the Trump agenda on board and are vigorous proponents of it. People like Matt Gates, people like Jim Jordan, people like Devin Nunes, people like um, Elise Stefanik. These, in my opinion, should be the future of the Republican Party and they should be the leaders of the Republican Party and I'd be very uncomfortable if they are not the leaders of the party going forward. My gut feeling tells me they will not be and that if anything they'll be meant to suffer for having been Trump supporters. So if I was Donald Trump, I would gather all these people together. They're hugely vocal and hugely supportive this week. And I would I would put this idea to them because I think um, it's a concept and a party that would get very quickly off the ground and would very quickly, especially at, in the current climate, marginalise the Republican Party. If it was launched success, successfully in the interim, I would use it as a threat for all these establishment part, um, politicians to come out very forcefully and say they don't accept the mainstream media's version of events with regard to this election as to why as to why they are so quick to want to declare a winner in this is beyond me because there is no rush there should be no rush to judgment let this all play out and there's plenty of time to let it all play because the an answer is not really required constitutionally until the first week of December. So there are at least four weeks um, to play around with on this. So, and I think they should use that time. But we shall see. This could all. This could all. If the narrative continues the way it started in the first five or six hours, this could all end by the end of the weekend, and Trump could be forced into a concession. I don't see it myself. I think he's going to fight it and fight it hard. But he needs an awful lot more support from the the establishment Republican Party. The speed with which the old guard Republicans are coming on TV networks to give legitimacy to the result would worry me if I was working on the Trump campaign. It would really work. We'll just have to wait and see how that develops. But I would say the narrative will either win or get killed before Monday morning. So we'll know pretty quickly. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say on tonight's um, version of the podcast. We'll just keep it quick because I'm keeping an eye on it uh, going along. And I'll leave it at that for tonight. Hopefully, uh, anyone that listens to me regularly can follow me on Twitter at Vox Deplorables. Email me at Vox Deplorables, V-O-X-D-E-P-L-O-R, ables at gmail.com I'm on Patreon if you just um, t- 
type Thinking Out Loud into Patreon, you'll find my all my podcasts up there along with some of my writing. So I'll leave and wish you the